Hey everybody, it's uh, episode the third of the Rockslide podcast. What a week it's been, um, as you can probably hear. I am battling a sinus infection slash upper respiratory issue, so I can neither talk normal nor hear normal. So it probably sounds a little funky, but, um, so we got a good episode this week. Uh, unfortunately it's very appropriate for the week that has passed with two, um, prominent public figures, um, taking their own lives. Um, but we do address, uh, mental health in this issue. Um, it's sort of a laying the groundwork for a topic that we will cover probably with some regularity because it is a major aspect of both my life, my wife's life, and uh, even my my daughter's life. So, um, yeah, not much to say. And the more I say, the more I need to snort. So, um, So, why don't we just get to the episode? Episode three. Rockside Podcast. Love you guys. Enjoy. We live in a depressive household. I don't like the way that was worded. (laughs) In Um, fact, in fact, that's the first note I wrote. Depressive or prone to depression? With a question mark at the end? Yeah. Well, it, I didn't have it, but that's what I meant. Because I, especially lately, have learned that words really matter. And depressive is not the right word. For you, or is there something that you read that said? No, for me, it just sits with me wrong. Okay. I was thinking about our intentions with this podcast, and we're aiming for about four hours of content a month. Was that right? Yeah, roughly, give or take. Okay, so the greatest obstacle that I see for us in that is our own cycles of depression. Okay. Last week, we probably could have started this, but I've been struggling with my own issues, and then last week, you had a a tragedy occur that brought you down, and... It's like when we sync up, nothing's getting done <laughs> in this in this in this arena. I think that we need that though. Now that we have started, we need to push ourselves through that. Oh, absolutely. Why don't we? Okay, what? Because these things do happen in episodes. Like they do happen in. Uh, you'll just have stretches of bad week or two, whatever. Um, what is, how does that manifest for you? Like, how do you experience, because you've been probably, uh, much better controlled than I have been over the past six months or so. So what, what, what do those low points feel like to you? The depression, the depressing, depressing period, Mm -hmm. um, of that, I would say it was more anxiety for most of that period. Okay. Um, it was a very short-lived depression. Okay. Um, 
what does depression look like to me? How um, do you experience it? Well, you're not just a, de- a person who experiences depression. It's more than that for you. So yes. how do you experience your mental health struggles generally? So my constant, my biggest battle um, is probably with obsessive compulsive disorder. Okay. And obsessive compulsive disorder is a form of anxiety. Mm-hmm. So generalized anxiety, I mean, I don't know. It kind of, they they are so close, closely related that they're kind of my twin terrors mm-hmm. that I've dealt with for nearly 30 years. I am, or 31 years. Essentially your conscious my, yes. memory. Yeah. yeah. Because even before I have memories, my parents talk about me being a very anxious, sensitive child. And that, what that, what does that feel like? Mm -hmm. Um, When stress is put upon my body, that's Mm -hmm. when it rears its head now these days. So what that looks like is anything can trigger an anxiety spiral. And an anxiety spiral is not something I can easily come out of. You know, people might say, well, just think about something else or, (laughs) but that it's literally not possible. I'm working on ways to give myself tools so that I can get out of it. So I shouldn't say it's literally not possible, but without the tools that I've had up to this point, Mm -hmm. it has, it has been impossible. So what ends up happening is I will see something that to me denotes a a threat to my comfort, a threat to my current state of being. Mm -hmm. Um, Every human being is prone to desire comfort. Mm -hmm. And once you've gotten into a groove, you don't want that to change because that's where you're comfortable. Mm-hmm. And change, that's another kind of component of what I struggle with. Um, adjustment disorder is something that I struggle with mm-hmm. because I um, I have never been someone who handles change well, which is why I, in the last year or so, have really tried to encourage myself to look for opportunities to change up my schedule or make some changes that will help me with brain plasticity and flexibility Mm -hmm. Um, because it's really important to it's important to know I think and to be aware of the fact that when you're in a given moment it's impossible to experience that moment again Mm -hmm. Um, so every moment that you're alive things are changing as someone who suffers from anxiety that's something that's hard to to handle because you're looking down the road right at what might be coming right and so let's take for example do you remember when avian flu bird flu was all the sure um we all remember our our first threatened pandemic yes i spent hours researching bird flu Mm -hmm. the what it was what 
the threat to me was, what the threat to my family was, what the threat to my community was, um, where the bird flu was currently at in the United States, um, how people were, were people looking for... Which birds did you have to be most concerned about? <laughs> right. Was it like turkeys or maybe finches? And it's and it all it all goes into that fear of change. Mm-hmm. Because if I or someone I love gets sick of the bird flu and dies, mm-hmm. what is going to change in my life? Now, see, what you just expressed, what I see as you describe that is your mind immediately goes 100 steps down the line to the worst possible scenario that could occur. Right. It's preparing for tragedy. Mm-hmm. It is. It's you. your mind... My mind, I should say, um, thinks seems to think that if I prepare myself for the tragedy, when the tragedy strikes, which it, knock on wood, never does, and 98% of the time it's not going to. Um, You're emotionally prepared for I'm it. I'm emotionally, quote unquote, prepared for it. Yeah. Um, but the fact of the matter is, as I've been doing a lot of research and reading, and I'm, I'm turning that perspective on its head. And learning that when you emotionally prepare yourself for a tragedy, you're essentially living the tragedy twice. Yeah. You're also letting the tragedy fog the experiences that you're that you're having because you can't focus on what is happening in front of you trying to think four or five steps ahead. Right. So instead of enjoying the moment that you're in, you're trying to protect your future moments mm-hmm. that may or may not may or may not occur. So I'll I'll just say in a in a nutshell, the anxiety that I experience is very, is always like that. So I'll, I'll sometimes I experience the physical symptoms first, and then I try to attribute something to it. So I'll find something to worry about. You're having a heart attack. Yeah. 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 Or like, I'll be like, why am I feeling this way? I must be worried about something. What am I worried about? And then I find something to dwell on. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So even (laughs) if you have, because I assume it's like a heart thing. Yes. Or like you feel it in in your chest. I experienced the majority of my anxiety in my heart. Okay. So I would imagine if you have like, let's say you had too much caffeine Mm -hmm. and your heart's a little like. Yeah. It's got the shivers maybe a little bit. So you experience that physical symptom and then go, oh, that either go, oh, there's something physically wrong with me or there's something that that I'm not thinking about that there's a threat somewhere that I'm just not consciously aware of. Right, right. And so I search for it until I find it. And then the anxiety spiral begins. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. See, for for me, um, though I know um, certain stressors will contribute to me experiencing anxiety and then depression, I know it's, I'm able to tell in my head most of the time, this is panic, this is anxiety that you're experiencing. So for me, it's, the, the anxiety is largely physical. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to go, oh, this is what's causing my anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know it's just a 
with panic disorder, sometimes your body's going to go, fuck, run. Yeah, and, right. Like in the middle of the night, like the other night. Right. I, that's, I mean, that's just the way it works. Yeah. There doesn't have to be a trigger. Right, right. And I didn't, I never knew that. That was not something that I was aware of until we met. Really? I did. It was a couple years into our relationship that I, that I learned that panic disorder was separate from anxiety. Yeah. It's, I mean, the first time I had a panic attack, I remember specifically because it was so weird. The sun, I was in my car driving and the sun reflected off a car bumper. You know, it sounds ridiculous, but the sun reflected off a car bumper and all of a sudden my heart was like, as if that car had blown up. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I could always tie it to, oh, this is a physical thing. Mm-hmm. This is not, it's your, it's fight or flight, a uh, fight or flight breakdown. Mm-hmm. So your, your fight or flight instinct is, is jumping into gear for no reason. Mm-hmm. So I always associate it with physical, the, the depression part, that's when stuff slows down and your head can start to, to do its, evil magic so the depressions for me the depression for me is um is much harder to deal with because the way my mind works i can dig myself a hole and as you get deeper and deeper in depression you start off with a trowel and you end up with a backhoe where just the deeper that you get the easier it is to dig yourself deeper and deeper and deeper Depression was always there, but like it was always something I experienced, even when I couldn't identify it as such. Um, anxiety was something that I added to the mix in my in my twenties. And mine was actually the reverse. Mm-hmm. The anxiety and OCD was something I always experienced, and the depression did not hit until I think my first bout of depression was like eighth grade. Oh, it was that early? It was that early, okay. but um, but I had been already dealing with anxiety for long before that. Mm-hmm. And the thing about anxiety, most of my major, like, had to take time off of work episodes of depression, they started as panic that spiraled completely out of control. When you have a panic attack or suffer from panic, it is so exhausting on your body. It is. It just it is very exhausting. It just drains your body. If you're a battery, it drains the whole thing quickly. Quickly. Like in a matter of minutes. Mm-hmm. And then I have to fight the depression to get to sort of recharge my body. And it 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 takes a long time to sort of re- to recharge. Medicine has helped, but most of the time I'm worried about, okay, I got to keep my panic under control because that's what leads to the depression. Exactly. Exactly. However, my depression is sneakier and I will be weeks into a low point and not sort of realize it. Mm. Depression for me is very, you know, it's a very wide spectrum. You know, if it's one to 10 and I want to live at 10, I don't get down Maybe once every few years, I'll get down below five. But a lot of times I'm living in the six and seven and don't realize it. One of the more sinister aspects of depression is that going to get help becomes an 
absolutely impossible task. It feels like even making the phone call to schedule an appointment is just a drain on your soul and on your will. So like I'm in a case right now where I'm probably in the six or seven range. This podcast is a good example of of how dis- depression can just sort of eat at your will. So because I'm a perfectionist and because when I'm when I'm down I want I get pretty rigid in like my schedule and what I want to get done, but what happens is so we have these goals set for the podcast and I want to have people come in and guest on the podcast and working around people's schedules when for them doing a podcast is a bit of a lark for us. It's something more serious. So when I run into struggles, like I can't get anyone scheduled to work because everyone we know has kids and mm-hmm. work and different schedules. Um, my head goes, this is never going to work. So why are we, why are we doing it? And that's really the main reason I even brought up depression today is because it will be a battle for us sometimes to make this what we want it to be. But you and I are both committed to doing it. Mm -hmm. The trouble that we run into, you and I can both pick each other up. Mm -hmm. But when we're both down, it it just makes it, it makes it, a lot harder to to help each other out because we're both dealing with our our own stuff which is why when we feel good we need to get as much of this done as we can yeah and because yes um just talking about last week keeps making me want to cry yeah um i'm i don't contribute last week to depression no no um and if that's the impression, that's not what I meant. But you were low for a reason. Right. And that's all I meant. When we have to, when we both have emotional capital being spent, it's hard for us to get together as a pair and and do something like this, which at, at the current point is just a reward in a, of itself. Like just doing it is, yeah. is what what is fun we want people to listen because we've been through a lot and we think it is it is helpful plus there will be more fun there will things on this it won't always be so dark and no dreary well and i that's something that like that i think is important for people who who experience mental health um everybody experiences mental health i meant (laughs) mental health issues yeah um i know for you you and i when we hear about Kristen Bell is a good example. Yes. Kristen Bell, her public, I'm not going to call it a persona, but her projection in public is essentially a ray of sunshine. Right. right. But she's been open about suffering from depression. And for someone like, for people like you and I who admire her um, and the work that she does as an artist, but then also the, the amount of charity work that she mm-hmm. does to find out that yeah I still get I still have days where I just can't get out of bed that's uplifting it is as crazy as it is hearing hearing someone you admire say yeah um I struggle and I go through these things I've always gone through these things cuz the 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 most interesting thing 
or the most heartening thing to me about talking to someone who who experiences depression is every story has its through line, but there are so many variations of those stories. I mean, just between you and I, you know, we've talked about, for me, it was depression first, then panic. For you, it was anxiety and panic first, that, mm-hmm. and then depression developed. And the the specifics of the way people experience it, the more different stories you can hear, mm-hmm. and the more people, well, like The Rock just came out. He did a big interview in a legitimate magazine. I don't remember what it was, like Vanity Fair, maybe something like that. And he talked about being depressed. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. When, oh, wow. When essentially after his his football career, mm-hmm. after he played in the CFL, after mm-hmm. it was clear his football career wasn't going where he wanted to go, he had a low point. Oh, wow. Um, obviously experiencing personal loss from loved ones. Mm-hmm. He experienced it then. And considering how most people view The Rock yeah. or Dwayne Johnson. I don't know what I'm supposed Dwayne to call Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I don't know what I'm supposed to Just call him. Just call him The Rock. Dwayne. So Dwayne. Just call um, him The Rock. You can't call him Dwayne. He doesn't look like a Dwayne. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, his Instagram, it's all like inspiring, work hard, mm-hmm. you know. And then when, the, frankly, that persona to me got exhausting enough that I had to stop following him on Instagram because he wore me out. Yeah. But now that I know, okay, you are seeing me at my best, but I still have, I've struggled with these things that you've struggled with as well. Mm-hmm. He's, he's pulled me back in, mm-hmm. which makes me feel really bad about the things I said about the rock in our box office draft podcast what did you say i don't even remember i just i i said that now here's what's funny so it was before we watched jumanji Mm -hmm. and it was before this depression stuff came up but i said that when he's on his own in film his his record is pretty spotty as Mm -hmm. like an action star Mm -hmm. and i sort of i sort of said that i i found the the glib action hero stuff a little tiresome from Mm -hmm. him just because I think there's more to him than that. And then we up and watch Jumanji where he actually has to, he has to actually act and perform as someone, not the rock. And at the same time, he's skewering that mm-hmm. persona. So what I'm saying is I sent the rock flowers because I have deep regret about my criticisms of him during that. During well, that I'm happy to hear that you've come back around because I do love the rock and, um, I'm glad that <laughs> the the man I love is back in love with other with another with man another I love. man you love. <laughs> um, I will, you know, along the same theme. I will say when I I've I've had a couple of um, episode depressive episodes that have been pretty um, severe. Mm-hmm. the The most recent one occurred in November 2015. A lot of things got me through, but one of the big components of my recovery was listening to, reading, reaching out to other people who had struggled with the same thing that I was experiencing mm-hmm. and and having them tell me that they had gotten through it. Mm-hmm. Knowing that there that other people had had that experience and had come out the other side was what I was like it gave me strength. Yeah. Well, you remember I reached out to Jay Moore. 
And yeah, I I still have that email. I clung to it um, because it gave me so much hope and energy and joy to have that. Yeah, a little backstory. Um, Jay Moore wrote a book about his two years on uh, Saturday Night Live called Gasping for Airtime. And in it, he talks about suffering from depression and panic disorder and um, how he got through it. And I read that, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago. And I've kept it ever since. Randy and I are always looking for books about people who, who, especially comedians, Mm -hmm. who go through it. One of the great difficulties about depression, something I hope to crack on this podcast, is I've yet to hear someone describe depression in a way that it makes sense to people who have never Mm -hmm. experienced it. And I've heard people like, you know, Patton Oswalt, Mm -hmm. Jay Moore, Jen Kirkman, um, all these people that we that we really admire who are really smart people who suffer from depression mm-hmm. and even they haven't been able to to crack that for layman's mm-hmm. and it's 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 a really tough thing to do I mean I can tell you I can tell you what my specific experiences are but if you're a person who has never who has felt in their life that there is no light left the light at the end of the tunnel doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Understanding that sort of desperation and that defeat, it's hard mm-hmm. to describe. Um, it's easy to do physical symptoms, you know, panic disorder, your heart races, you sweat, you shake. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to depression, it's it's not that easy, easy to describe. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to try. Yep. I'm going to keep poking that bear (laughs) one of the notes that i wrote was i wish phil would talk to me more about how he's feeling i said the difference between phil and me when we when it comes to our mental health is that i talk a lot Mm -hmm. and phil clams up and talks very little um it's we have very different ways of handling our mental health struggles Mm -hmm. and it causes me to feel in in i for me to feel closeness in my relationships i my my love language is words of affirmation and and talking and mm-hmm. um so when i don't have that it makes me feel distance and yeah and it's very hard when you are up in your own head which is generally where depression sends you to to uh even be aware of the sort of external things around you so yeah i'm not a good provider of that when i'm when i'm up in in my own head i will say i think there's i think there is a gender dynamic a pretty severe gender dynamic to that i i am not a stereotypical male i mean as you can hear from this podcast i'm not at all shy about talking about you know the worst parts of my life of my personality whatever i'm i can be an open book but with when i'm depressed i'm so um solution based really yeah like <laughs> like well no let me explain okay um so when i'm depressed i'm thinking so a good example so right now i'm in i'm at like 6 or 7 i have a doctor's appointment tomorrow but i've been 
depressed for probably six weeks since I, I had a real struggle with panic attacks out of nowhere. Um, I got on different medication and the depressive in me is going, well, you're not really going to be able to do anything about it until you go see your doctor again. Hmm. So just ride the wave. That is one of the things about you. If there's anything that frustrates me about you, it's what you've just said. Because that, I think, comes, is very lined up with that perfectionistic tendency in your mind. How so? Because, for example, just like this podcast, you don't want to do it until we have everything lined up. Yeah. You didn't want to do the shelves until you had everything lined up. <laughs> you and, Well, hold on. The shelves were also work. <laughs> and, but though a, a slightly obsessive compulsive part of that is like, since I was, I was doing them for you, like in terms of there were shelves that you were going to use to decorate. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that you were going to be happy with what I did. And you were at the point where you're just like, just, just put them up. It's going to be fine. Just put them up. And that, that did make me anxious about doing it. It got to the point where I had to just simplify it for myself. I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do this, but I can get these up like this. And then I was able to do it, but you were not helpful in giving me instructions. You're just like, well, we had it planned out on the whiteboard that we erased. But babe, okay, you, so you have to understand though that when I when I say that something doesn't matter to me is literally like a lot of you know I'm anal about a lot of things. Yeah. So when I say that something doesn't matter, like you should run with it. Yeah, but when you say something do- doesn't matter in my head, I go, yeah, she says that. But when I put those up and they're half a degree off you're gonna see it have i ever done not in any sort of like malicious way but just that in my head it's like yeah she can say that but if those are off just a little bit and you know what leveling shelves especially in a row that sucks yeah i know that sucks i'm sure there's some carpenter out there who's like oh no this is cake here let me show you it was hard as hell yeah. for me, and I can't allow it to be a half degree off for my own health and for for your perceived health. Yeah. Well, I feel like, so I wrote that I, off, I get frustrated because I often feel like there's more you could do to feel better. And so I think that that really lines up with what you were talking about with waiting until you go to the doctor because mm-hmm. there's nothing you can do. Yeah. But I but I know because of what I've learned in all of my intensive therapy that I've done <laughs> that there are a lot of things that you you have to take control of your own health. Mm-hmm. You cannot wait for somebody else to do that for you. Right. Um well and, and we've seen with me that once I get into a groove I, I do pretty well, mm-hmm. but man, starting is the Yeah, you the have to worst. start start small, mm-hmm. but you have to start. Yeah. When Randy was at her worst, 
once you talk about November of 15, one of the one of the most pernicious aspects of that was as a person who um, who experienced anxiety, who knows depression, it was very hard for me to be supportive a hundred percent of the time. Um, one of the aspects of Randy's personality when she's depressed is constant reassurance. Mm-hmm. And it's an OCD thing. Yeah. And imagine that reassurance is a tennis ball. Randy's head is a brick wall. Everything I, she'd ask me a question, am I going to get through this? Is this common? Is this something that people go through? And I'd throw a tennis ball at her head and it would bounce right off. And it would make me feel good for a second. A like, full second? Maybe not a full second. Yeah. But, but uh, that's the thing. It's That's the trick is that it would make me feel good for maybe a millisecond. And that's why I go back for more. Mm-hmm. It's the OCD. It's the reassurance seeking. It's a compulsive yeah. behavior. It got to the point where I had, I literally had to take Randy to the emergency room, which we can go through that, that whole specific experience. But basically Randy wasn't, had gotten to the point where she wasn't helping herself. And I just had to take her and say, we're, we're, I'm asking a lot of questions to clarify, but we were both under general practitioner care for our mental health at that time. Correct. And I had been seeing my practitioner for a while um, about this issue right. prior to going to the emergency room. Um, we had been, because I was so afraid of going off of the, I was on Lexapro at the time and I had been on Lexapro for t- nine or 10 years. Which in our experience, nine or 10 years, at about year eight, you might just want to switch it up. Yeah. Um, and so, <laughs> and it's what I, what I ended up telling Courtney, but at the time I, I couldn't logically couldn't logically think this, but my pra- my GP was like, Randy, we need to try something new. But I was like, I'm so scared. I don't want to go off Lexapro because it's worked so well for me. And she'd be like, but it's not working now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like, well, I work in a casino. So the, the it's like the people, we see lots of superstitions mm-hmm. played out, mm-hmm. like the way people push buttons or mm-hmm. little trinkets or whatever. And I always laugh about it just because there's no, <laughs> there's no conceivable way that that thing has always worked. Mm-hmm. There's none. The The house always wins. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, if it were me and thinking logically, thinking logically about superstition, the the first time that I went in there and lost my house, that troll doll or or like molesting the screen or whatever, I would stop doing that. Yeah. But no, it's the same behavior every yeah. single time, win or lose. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, side. so it, the Lexapro really was like a superstition at that point. It wasn't working any longer, mm-hmm. but I was clinging to it so hard because it had kept me feeling pretty darn good for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I had been seeing my GP um semi-weekly at that point like Mm -hmm. we were working really hard but she had told me randy here's my cell phone number you can use it she gave me her cell phone number um she said but if you get any worse i want you to go to the emergency room Mm. did you ever tell me that no i don't think i did yeah because 
there it would have taken Phil to get me to the emergency room because I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Even walking in, it was just like I was a shell. Yeah. I was And I wish I wish we could remember what the nurse's name was. She who, was amazing. Who took our took her blood pre- took her vitals before we actually went back into the um exam area. But she was like it's like, oh, honey, I go through that all the time. I've got, I'm yeah. on this dose of this, this dose of this, and I'm just golden. Yeah. She was amazing. She yeah. was exactly what I needed. Yeah. But so we went to the emergency room and, and it was, it was scary. It was, I was, I had to answer questions that before I answered them, I apologized to Phil because there were questions like, do you have any hope for the future? And I turned to Phil and I said, I'm sorry. And then I turned back to the nurse and said, no, I have none. And that's. And I pressed you to be honest. Right. Because right. I could see that, that you were very uncomfortable admitting how you felt at that time. Right. And you clearly could not, in your mental state, you couldn't understand that I was like, I like, I know you're talking about right now. That's not. Yeah. yeah. And the thing, the thing about me in this whole, in this whole stretch, which was probably like three months since you, at least until you got into Dr. St. Fort. I don't remember how much time it was leading up. I just know, I just remember the month of November Mm -hmm. because I took off work. I start, I went to the emergency room November one and they, that was a Saturday or Sunday. Yes. And they wanted me to start, they said, they said, do you think you need to be an inpatient? Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't, I'm not going to do anything to myself. Right. I have people who love me and support me. I said, I trust me. The thought sounds really, really good. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be here, but yeah. I'm not going to. And they trusted me, but they said, we do think that you need to be in some pretty intensive therapy. Mm-hmm. So they, um, they referred me to a, a program called Partial Hospital. And so it's an outpatient program where you are, um, it's a four-week program. It's camp. It is. <laughs> it is. And you are there for five hours a day. Oh, is that all? Five or six. It might have been. I thought it was almost a work day. Maybe it was. I it, it felt like it, I thought it was like eight to three or yeah yeah, like yeah you're actually right I think it was eight to three, um, um but so nervous to mm. go so nervous, um but I am so proud of myself and so thankful that you encouraged me to go, um well forced me to go, <laughs> um because it was life changing yeah it was the. It was one of the most impactful experiences of my life. Um, that first day that I went in, I was a sobbing mess. And I, at the first, when I had introduced myself, I, I was like, I'm here. I might as well just be honest. I said, I am really embarrassed to be here <laughs> as I'm crying. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the people there, I was in the room with alcoholics, with people suffering from schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, people who had attempted suicide, um, just a conglomeration of 
as we called ourselves the misfits mm-hmm. <laughs> and and um they embraced me wholeheartedly mm-hmm. and it was amazing and um i was able to be open and honest and it helped me in a way that i didn't even know i needed to yeah. be helped yeah you know randy had a group of people with different experiences with different things that that helped her see things in herself and that's largely gonna when we bring this stuff up on the podcast that's gonna be largely our intention with it is yeah especially with with um depression well actually with all of it hearing someone express the same thoughts that have always been in your head but never said out loud is is another one of those uplifting things Mm -hmm. where you're like oh my gosh their brain works the same way that mine does it's just it's it's really helpful and that's that's our main intent with with this podcast is is we want to be helpful to people and yeah i just hope it's it it helps as many people as as it can Thank you, everyone, for listening to episode three of the Rock Slide podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Rock Slide Podcast. Instagram is going to be the hub of activity, um, but you'll see a little bit on Twitter. That's about all we got. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.